0: When I think about a lot of the the stories that I have, a lot of them stem from when I was in high school or in college, and you know I think about the those forming years that that God was working in my life, and I would imagine that when you were going through big changes in your life and transitions is uh Middle school and high school and college years, or maybe you went trade school, or maybe you just went into the workforce. Whatever the case is, whenever we transition, transitions can be difficult, can't they? They can be hard, and those are oftentimes the times when God seems to work the most and speak the loudest. When you're unsure of where you sh- what you should do or where you should go. When I was in when I made the transition from. Uh, a junior academy living at home and going home every day and eating mom's food every day to going to a boarding school and boarding academy, that was a transition. I mean, you go from having a lot of freedom, and I, my parents really trusted me, and I mean, I, I was able to to go at, to school. I drove myself to school and and uh, came, I would do basketball practice and come back home. I'd drive to my friend's house. We'd go, I mean, we had a lot of freedom. And when you go to a boarding school and you live in a dorm, there is no freedom. They strip it from you. They take it away from you. They, they want you to be as less free as you possibly can. And they chain you down and they, they might as well put tracking on your ankles. I and and you know certain sidewalks that you can walk on and you can't go over on this side of the campus because that's where the girls are and you're the, you know all the different things if you've never been to boarding school i'm sure you could find anyone here that has gone that could tell you story after story after story of what it's like but i will tell you that going from a school that i had grown up in my entire life from 2nd grade to 10th grade having those friends having that familiarity having my family around Going to a place that I didn't know a soul was an extremely difficult transition. I, every day, I would come back to my dorm room and I would cry. I was so lonely. I didn't have any friends because I didn't know them yet, right? And, and it was hard because I felt like I was kind of this outsider kid that didn't know any of, any, any of the other groups and the friends, and they have been going to school together. This is like their third year, whatever, and I, here I am trying to just fit in And I wasn't fitting in. And it was really, really difficult. And I remember just every day feeling so alone. I dreaded, I dreaded for the evenings to come because it meant that I had to go back to my dorm room. And I didn't have friends yet to go into their dorm room and to talk to them and hang out. So I'd go back to my dorm room and I'd be alone and I would cry. I just, I wanted to go home so bad. I would go downstairs to the payphone with my calling card if you remember those days, and I would type in the numbers and it would tell me that I had so many minutes left and I would call mom and I'd say, please come get me. I want to come home. And my mom was like, no, you are staying there. (laughs) She was ruthless, I tell you. She was like, no, this is good for you. This is where you need to be. You're just fine. And so every day it was the same routine. For weeks. And I remember the only one that I could talk to was God. And it was, in those, it was in those weeks, in those months, that every day just seemed like I was getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer. But it's not that God was far from me, but my heart seemed to be more in tune with him. And so I would be walking to class and you'd walk on the, the boys designated sidewalk. You walk on the sidewalk and I would just, I, the sun would be shining and I would be looking up and I would be talking. I, I, that was so new for me. It was so weird. I, I grew, you know, went to a school where I was like the, I was a nerdy kid, and then as you get a little bit older, you just, because of your, your age and because of your grade, you begin to kind of be like the leader of the school, right? And so I made that transition, and now I'm back down the bottom of the totem pole, not, not knowing anything and anyone. And, and, and before, I just relied on my friends and relied on, on, on the personality and I relied on my leadership and all those things, and now I had nothing. And the only one that I could rely on was Jesus, and so I would just talk to him. So I went from a place where I wasn't really talking to him at all, but I grew up in it. I should know it, and now I'm talking. So every day I would talk. and say, Lord, good morning. So good to say, thank you for walking with me to class because I don't have anybody else to walk with. And Lord, as I go into this history class, it's going to be really boring, and I pray that you just keep me awake and you'd help me through this. (laughs) Or we go into Algebra 2, and and we'd have to, you know, go through that whole process. Calculus, those, those types of things. And And I would say that that connection uh, between me and God became very very close uh, and very casual because it just turned into a friend. And in that friendship, I would just strike up conversations, kind of what Paul talks about, that you pray without ceasing and things like that. But you know what happened as well is not only is my time with him as I'm talking to him, oftentimes it's just constantly me just telling him all the things that I need, Right? Lord, I need some friends. <laughs> Lord, I need some help in this class. Or I need you, know, I need you to be here with me. I need, you know, thank you for being Yeah, I would thank him for things, but oftentimes it was just, it was my own method in my own way. And while there was a closeness there, there seemed to be a little bit of a disconnect of who he was as my creator and my God. I don't know, there was something different. Like I saw him as a friend, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But the, the casualness of it almost made it seem like he was only my friend. But God is our friend and our Savior and our Lord and our King and our Creator, right? And that's why I think Jesus gives us a model for prayer. It's not that it's something that we always have to recite or repeat or, or it's something that we have to say every day. That would be going against what Jesus just got done saying and having empty phrases or repetitions, things along those lines. But there's, there's things in this prayer that give us a model of, of, of an area that, uh, of prayer that we should be focused in on or at least cognitive of when we are praying to our God. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're gonna take a look at the Lord's Prayer, and it's probably something that you all know by heart, and you probably all know it by heart because I was saying it to, uh, to, the, to the kids last night, we probably know it in one translation, right? The, the, good, the King James Version, because every time I say the Lord's Prayer, I'm always saying art and thou and all those different things. So should we say it together? I think we should, right? Let's pray, and then we'll say it. We'll, read our, our, we'll dive into the Word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for being close to us. We thank you that we can approach you with boldness but we also approach you with humility. We thank you that the throne room is open, (laughs) that we can come to you and we can talk to you and we can share with you what's going on in our life. But we definitely don't wanna lose sight as to who you are and what you have in store for us. So I pray that as we open your word, as we study it, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say and that you would anoint my lips and my mind that the words that I speak would be from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? And while we may know to recite it, to to say it over again and we we remember it, and maybe that was your first time hearing it, maybe you're not familiar with it, today we're going to talk all about it. So I I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter six as we start in verse nine. Matthew chapter six starting in verse nine. Last week when we talked uh, an introduction to prayer, Jesus gives us some, I, I would say, some guidelines early on that we would not Pray out in the the street corners that we may be seen by others. It's not something that we would just go out. We want to check our motives, right? Make sure that our our motives and our hearts are are pure. Ready? Sometimes we just don't know what to say. And I I encouraged you and challenged you this last week that don't worry so much about what to say, but show up. Take that time to, to quiet yourself, to quiet the area around you, and to approach the Lord in prayer. And I don't know how that went for you, but maybe you're not quite sure where to start, and you said, Pastor, I did it, but I just didn't know what to say. Well, we can start here, and let's, let's talk about it. When Jesus says, pray then like this. And I'm going to read it from a different version, because it kind of just, again, makes us uh, look at things a little bit fresher. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil we're just going to go through this a little bit different than i would uh, in another uh, i guess sermon we're going to take this just one step at a time and we're going to talk about a little bit of what uh, things that we should be thinking of when we're praying it why is it here why is it written like this and that, that that when we understand the meaning or the reason behind it, you don't have to go back through and say it word for word. I think it's good that you recognize what Jesus is, is calling us to include, right? So he starts off with these, these first two words. And the first two words I think are, are probably one of the most important two words in the entire prayer. Our Father. Our Father. Why are these two words important? Is because I think that, first of all, Jesus, whenever he is pr- talking about his Father, he refers to him as his Father. The f- my Father who sent me. My Father. He, I mean, he is, he is, it is a, a direct correlation that Jesus says that he is, he is my Father. There's a connection there, and now Jesus opens it up and he brings you and me into it because he says, our Father. He says, pray like this. Our Father. He's bringing you in it. He's bringing me into it. And now, here's the thing is, we get to claim our identity and our childhood in Christ. This is beautiful because he doesn't say, you know, okay, we're going to pray to, to my Father. No, he says, our Father. Now there's two things here that I think are important. One, he's including us in that, in the inheritance. I think the other part of it that we need to look at and remember is that if I'm in, you're in too. Oftentimes, we get really singular with this whole thing and we want to say, well, this is my God And this is my faith, and this is my Father. But it's ours. It's your faith, it's our faith, it's our God, it's our Creator. We're all together in this. The moment that we don't remember that someone else's identity is tied in Christ as well, we get judgy, we get critical, we point fingers. We say nasty things about them. We strip them of their identity or or their personhood in Christ. And and we've already discussed that in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about that. But I think it's important that even in his prayer, we must remember that we are together as his children. All believers in Jesus, we can approach our God as our king and our creator. So let's not get, you know, possessive here. Yes, he's yours, he's, but he's mine as well, and he's the person next to yours as well. He's our father. Father is another really important word because it's, it, it brings intimacy to the prayer. It's, the, it's not just a, a word father. It's the, Jesus uses the term Abba, which you probably have heard that, Abba Father, right? It, it would be us calling him dad, Right? And there are, there are churches and there's things that, I don't know if you've heard it, it's kind of a thing that's going around where people are making fun of that where they call him Daddy God, you know, welcome to Daddy God's church and things like that. I'm not going to go that far with it. I think that what Jesus is really trying to say is, just as you could approach your earthly safe Father in heaven, by the way, I understand that not everybody has, has had that, but he is trying to relate to you as someone to say, I am close by. I am not just, I'm not just out there in the middle of nowhere and I'm just letting things go as they please. He cares and he's involved and he's, he's right there with you. So Abba, Father, this is a, a approaching him of saying that we are together and he is close to us. He's right there with me. And with that closeness, it's followed up with hallowed, well, sorry, in heaven. I don't want to jump ahead. In heaven. So he's our father, intimate, but he is in heaven. And, and it brings into that next line, holy is your name or hallowed be thy name, right? Holy is your name. We are recognizing right off the bat that he is ours and he is close, but he's also in heaven and he is a holy, powerful creator God. Now tell me, is there ever other, is there ever has there ever been another god in history? And I'm not a I am not do not study all the gods, okay? But I don't know of one that would be like this. Because usually gods of the sea or gods of the moon or gods of the storms or you know, gods of the rain or whatever, they were distant. They, were, they would just do whatever they would want to do, and people would try to appease them. The pagans would do all kinds of things to try to get their attention. Remember the Elijah when he would brought uh, Baal and all the, gods, or all the people of Baal crying out to him, Baal, come down, all these different things. But God was there. God was powerful. God was mighty, but he was there. And all the other gods, maybe they thought were mighty and maybe they thought they were big and maybe thought they all these things, but you know what? They weren't there. They weren't present because they weren't real, obviously. (laughs) But our God is both. And I think that speaks volumes about the love and the character of who God is. He doesn't sit back with his arms crossed and say, figure it out. Instead, as the creator, as the God of the universe, he works all things together for good. He is involved. He's right there with you. When I walked those sidewalks, I was not alone. Because he was present, he was there. And there are times in your life that you're in the darkest valleys. I want you to know God is there. God is with you. He's walking with you. You are not alone. Even on the top mountaintop where you are proclaiming, yes, God is there too. And all the way in between, God is present. We should be in awe of our God. God. We talk about fearing God. It's the idea of being in awe of Him, and 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 as we as we say these things, as we recognize who He is, our hearts begin to shift a little bit because now we're not just going to ask for any old thing, are we? (laughs) Everything that that we would are going to ask afterwards, we're going to recognize who it is that we're talking to, and we're not just going to be throwing out frivolous things. We're going to probably really think about what it is now. God loves to hear from us no matter what we say, no matter what we ask for. But I think that, you know, to ask for a Lamborghini is probably a little bit outside of the realm of what prayer is, right? I hope we recognize that. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I think it's important that we don't just say that God's name is holy but I think that in our actions and in our life, that proclaims God is holy as well. What do I mean by this? Well, if I take on the name of a follower of Jesus, but I don't act like a follower of Jesus, Then I'm really disgracing the name of who Jesus is and who God is. And if I'm disgracing that, then what am I doing? I'm taking the Lord's name in vain. I'm taking it and I'm saying, I am a follower of the Creator God. But if I don't act like it, if I don't remember who I am in Christ and I go and do my own thing and I'm selfish and I'm prideful and I'm mean and I'm critical and I'm those types of things, then I'm ultimately taking God's name in vain because I'm saying, look at me, I'm a Christian but I'm not going to act like it when, when I'm behind closed doors. Do you see the difference? So when we say God's name is holy, as we are taking on his, his name as a child of God, then our lives should reflect that. Are you with me? You guys are quiet this morning. All right, I got you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We recognize that our Father, he is in heaven. And if his kingdom in heaven is perfect, we are then asking for him to have his reign and his will done here on this earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To pray these words, is to ask God to realize his will in the life of me, the one who is praying. Your will be done means take over here. And if I want the world to follow you, I must be the first to follow. If I ask you to reform the world, God, then you must start by reforming, me. In the young adults, we talked about the, a really gruesome story in Judges, towards the end of the book. Uh, it's one that you read and you just go, "Why?" You know, it's 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 gruesome, it's gross, and it's yucky, and it's but it's there, right? And so what we're going through and we're we're dealing with it, and and one of the things that that just really struck me that when the tribes went up against Benjamin for what they had done, it's interesting because I would imagine that that same behavior that was happening around the Benjamites probably was happening elsewhere too. And if maybe not the exact same thing, probably things that are similar. But you know what? It was a lot easier for everyone to rise up against Benjamin and to point to him and say, yeah, let's go get him. It's a lot easier to point at the world and to point at different people and say they need to get their life together. They need to repent. They need to turn their life around. They, 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 they. It's easy to point the finger to those outside, to those who you think aren't where they need to be. But you know what? If you're gonna pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're saying thy will be done in me first. God, you must I am inviting you to come into my heart first. I'm inviting you to change my life first. Let it be done here first. What kind of prayer would it be for me to pray that you repent, but I don't? What kind of prayer would it be for me to say they need to confess their sins, but I don't? What kind of prayer would that be? It would be a hypocritical prayer is what it would be. And that's exactly what Jesus is, is fighting against. May we never be a people, a Christ follower, may we never be a people that will always point to saying that something's wrong with everyone else, but we never deal with what's inside our own hearts. That is what Jesus calls a hypocrite. So when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, yes, we want God's will to be done all around but it must start with me. It must start in our own hearts. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about that? If you, go to the, if you think about the Bible stories, Manna, exactly. Children of Israel, call, they're, they're free from Egypt. And now they're out there. And what do they do? They complain against Moses and, and against what, what God is, is doing. They should have just left us in Egypt to, to die. And what does God do? He rains bread from heaven and lets it fall on the ground. And as they go, they collect their daily bread. Bread. Remember, if they don't collect it, they don't got nothing because it melts away. If they collect too much, it spoils, right? They have to trust in God every single day. And on the sixth day, they collect double for the Sabbath, right? And if they didn't, well, they didn't have anything because nothing fell on the Sabbath. Again, it was trusting God specifically that God will do what he says he will do. It reminds me of the prayer in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, one of my favorites and probably one of yours. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we are proclaiming that we are his he is in heaven he is holy he is this creator god we are saying that he's in control of his kingdom in heaven and he is perfect and we are inviting him to come into this place and into my heart to totally take full reign and let his will be done in my life and in your life and in his church and everywhere around it's then going into these requests For daily provision. And we're not asking for more than what we need. We're only asking for what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to trust that my God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Disciples are to rely on daily provision. And whether that's the physical tangible or whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, that God would give us what we need. He does. We recognize that he gives us what, he, what we need. Now, for a lot of us, we just go to Costco, and we get bread, and we get, the, we get the almond milk, and we get all the things, and we have plenty in our pantries, and we have got cans of stuff, and we got bags of stuff, and so for us to even think about, well, I need to ask for, for bread every day, well, guess what? You got that bread because of what God has already given to you. And so we recognize that my bread that I have today is because God has been faithful. And so it's okay to have the bread, loaf of bread that will last you throughout the week. There's nothing that says that you have to go out every day and get, you know, don't take this so literal that you are going every day to get your two slices of bread. We recognize what God has given to us today. But we also recognize that, God has given us way more than we need. Now, I recognize that's not all, in all places of the world, but a lot of us right here in Billings, Montana, are pretty comfortable. And I think it's okay to stop and to thank God for what He's given to us every moment. That's why we th- give thanks for our food, <laughs> it's why we, we give thanks for the many things that God has given to us, because God is faithful there's a story of a of a father and a young daughter and they were swimming out in the Atlantic and they were spending time together they're just having a grand time if you've ever been in the ocean it's so it it is just a fun thing Grayson and I we love to bodyboard or or boogie board you know you get the little boards and you get on there and you ride those waves in and things like that well if you're not paying attention and and over a course of time what happens you begin to drift and that's exactly what happened to this father and this daughter they get into a uh, into a riptide that took them out and they didn't really realize it until they were pretty far out he knew that his little daughter could not make it back on her own that she she was just too weak and he was even wearing out trying to get back and but he knew that he couldn't hold on to her and swim back and all these different things so you know what he said he said, I want you to float on your back, and I want you to rest on your back. I'm going to swim back. I'm going to get a boat, and I'm going to come back for you. Don't be afraid. I'll come back. So she got on her back, and she began to float. And he started for shore. It took him over an hour to swim against the tide. It was way longer than he thought, even to get someone with a boat. No one would give him a boat. So he's going around trying to get. So, because he couldn't find a motorboat, he found a rowboat. And he rowed out in a 14 foot rowboat. It was more than two hours later when he and his companion picked her up out of the water. The other man that was with him was amazed that she was still alive. And he just thought it was crazy that the father would leave her out there like that. And he said, weren't you afraid to be out here all alone? And she said, no. No. Daddy said he would come back. Jesus teaches us to pray with that kind of trust. Ask for your daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This version says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven Debtors. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a disciple or a Christian, then you have responded to God's call, his charge to repent and to confess him as your Lord and Savior. And if you've confessed and you've repented and you've invited him into your life, then guess what? Your sins have been forgiven. We believe that. And and. The thing is, is with that comes the freedom from the power of sin that we've talked about. But we don't just hang out and relish in our own forgiveness. We can't just be like, well, I'm forgiven. Look at me. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. We're also to forgive others. Those who have received forgiveness... Are so possessed with gratitude to God that we turn eagerly to forgive those who are debtors to us. It's interesting, we ask God to forgive us our debts, but it doesn't say that we're to forgive other persons' debts. What does it say that we're supposed to forgive the debtor, the person? person. We've talked about what forgiveness is. We can go back, we can look at that. This idea of canceling a debt that they don't owe me anymore. Jesus loves to use that debt analogy when it comes to forgiveness. But I, I want us to be clear that this does not teach that humans must Forgive others before they can receive forgiveness. What Jesus did on the cross, forgiveness has been laid out there. You receive that forgiveness because of his goodness, of how great he is. Now, when we confess our sins, we repent, that, that, he's just like, yeah, your forgiveness is yours. Absolutely, this is, what, this is who Jesus is. This is why he did what he did. There's nothing that gets in the way between us and him. He makes it totally open for you and I to approach him. And when we recognize what he's done, it leads us into repentance, into confession, but forgiveness, that's what Jesus has done. But a will, it does mean this: that forgiveness of others is proof that your sins have been forgiven and you possess that salvation. And I would say that the other part is true. If we don't forgive, if we refuse to give, if we forgive, if we hold the grudge, it's evidence that we haven't experienced forgiveness ourselves. That does not mean that God has not done what he did on the cross. It doesn't mean that forgiveness isn't there for you. But it could mean that you haven't received it, it could mean that you haven't experienced that forgiveness. Because when we've truly experienced it, something changes in our life. We're going to come back to it because Jesus comes back to it. But he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is probably one that gets really confusing really fast. Wait, God leads us into temptation? No. We know that his word says otherwise. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So, if God does not tempt us, then why in the world would we would Jesus tell us to lead us not into temptation? Well, another way that you could look at this the the word that's being used there is this idea of being tested and, and and really what you could what you could say in in our way of saying things it would say Let us not sin when we are tested. Or maybe a better way to, to say it would be: keep us out of trouble. <laughs> keep us out of trouble. Now, there, there, you know, we see throughout scripture that God tested individuals. And nowhere in scripture does it say that God stopped testing people. I think that our there's there's some things and I don't always understand it I don't always get it but but if there is some testing that's going on a lot of times it's a It's a test of our character, it's a test of who we are, things like that. It's not that God's like, hey, prove your way, but there's we know that when going through difficult times, our character is shaped and formed and and our oftentimes our faith is is stronger because of those testing times. But I would say that oftentimes temptation of ourselves gets in the way. So the idea of the temptation to go along with the crowd, to go along with everyone else. Just because everyone else is doing it, then I need to do it too. Keep me out of trouble. Temptation to procrastinate. This idea that I'll I'll invite Jesus into my life tomorrow. I'll take it seriously tomorrow. I just need to see what's going on in the world today, and then tomorrow I'll make my choice. The temptation to shift blame to other people. That it's no, well, it's not my fault. It was the woman that you gave me in the Garden of Eden. Not my, not mine, but Adam. Okay temptation to be indifferent this idea that I just don't care uh, you know there, you're, there's right and wrong going on in the world and I just don't care what's going on so keep us out of trouble I think it was Mark Twain that said it's a lot easier to stay out of trouble than get out of it so lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And I'll say this, the enemy is real and only God can deliver us from him. Now that last part that we often will say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, that part is not written in the original manuscripts. It's not part of the original prayer. That was added on. It was tacked on. Uh, And so, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's, you know, it's one of those things where you say, oh, it was added on. It's not part of the original. Well, it, they probably added on because they love to finish up a prayer with something along those lines. And so it, was, it, it doesn't make it bad for you to say it or to, to read it or anything like that. But we're not going to study it today because it's not part of the original text. But one part that I do want to hit is verse 14. Because Jesus, as he's already talked about, Uh, of forgiving us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, how many of us have had questions about this verse before? None of you, only me, only the pastor. All right, good. So because I've had questions about it, I will go ahead and try my best to answer it. And since you don't have questions about it, if I'm wrong, you can come and tell me. Because the question that I often get or I've even asked is do I really have to forgive or God won't forgive me? Like, what kind of God is that? That I, it almost seems work based a bit, doesn't it? So I have to forgive, otherwise God won't forgive me. That's a really. Doesn't, doesn't that kind of seem a little harsh? I mean, doesn't God know what we've been through? Doesn't he know the hurt that we've encountered? Doesn't he know, doesn't he get it, that it should be okay for us to just say, no, I, I, don't, I don't want to forgive that person for what they've done, right? Now you guys are all kinds of confused. No, no. Look, the reality here is I think we're asking the wrong question. That's a very human way, sinful way to ask a question because ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to justify us not doing what God has called us to do. So as we try to justify it, we say, I don't know, I mean, is it really, is God really gonna withhold his forgiveness from me if I don't forgive? I think we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the question should be, why would I withhold forgiveness when I have been forgiven so much? When you try to, when you try to reason with God in that kind of human, human way of saying, God, don't you understand what I've been through? He could say, absolutely I do. In fact, I know it even worse than you do. And yet God still has chosen to forgive. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Just the right time for you and for me. So in this, maybe I need to stop asking this selfish question of saying, wait, I have to do this? Instead, we look at it and say, I am crucified in Christ and my old self is gone, Paul tells us, and I'm free from sin and I've been given a new life in him. Why then would I want to go back and be enslaved to sin again. And unforgiveness is part of that, is sin. Because it's not, it's lawless. It's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to forgive. God is, Jesus, over and over and over, a oh, huge chunk of his ministry is talking about forgiveness. So why then would I want to go back to that. Maybe what Jesus is saying here is true. If we don't forgive, we are proving that we have not experienced newness of life. It doesn't mean that we haven't been forgiven. It doesn't mean that what God has done is, is in vain. It, what it means is that we've rejected the forgiveness by refusing to let it transform our life. Being unforgiving is selfish, being unforgiving is prideful, it's not Christ like. So I would then would be grieving the Holy Spirit by forgetting who I am in Jesus. Ultimately, what I think is that the enemy is trying to get you to believe a lie that what is owed to you is bigger than who you are now. If you are in Christ, if you have been set free the enemy tries to come along and he tries to find any excuse to make you go back to your old self to make you believe that the old self is still alive he tries to come back and makes riles you back up and gets you angry again about the person that hurt you the person that said this all the different things that have gone in our life and in those moments the enemy is trying to tell you look you deserve an apology you deserve your money back you deserve you deserve someone to explain to you why they did what they did to you you deserve these things and inside of us we go yeah i deserve these things no we don't why the only one who deserves anything is god he deserves our praise and our honor and our lives And when we give ourselves to him and our old self becomes nothing I'm his. And if I'm his then I follow what he says and if he says they don't owe you anymore I'll take care of it you let it go forgive them let's move on then that's what I'm going to do because that's the way that God has called me to live. Don't believe the lies from the enemy. We're I hate to say this because it, it, it makes us sound bad, but we're just, we're just not that important. <laughs> like, we're children of God. We are, hu- we are humbled before him. Like, we are important, but we're not. Does that make sense? Like, we're important in the sense that we are loved by God. We are his creation. But we're not important that I can then hold grudges and I can do whatever I want and live a prideful life in any old way I want to. That's what I mean by it. Follow Jesus. Follow his example. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, the first first martyr, don't hold this sin against them as he's dying. they they Stephen got it. Jesus is trying to get us to get it. So that last part, don't let it get confusing, don't let it you know, discourage you. just look at it and say, because Jesus has forgiven me, I'm going to forgive others for what they've done, and it's not just past; it's present and it's future. That you will continue to forgive people who hurt you and do things because it's going to happen. So, our Father, us, ours, closeness, me, who's, who's intimate, who's in heaven, He is the King of the Universe. He is holy. May I live in a way that brings honor and glory to him. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come. You have, everything in, you have everything perfect in your kingdom and I'm inviting you to bring that kingdom here and to start with me and on this earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we trust you with everything. Give us this day our daily bread. The things that we need for today, we are not going to worry or be anxious. We're gonna trust that you are going to do exactly what you said you would do. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, forgive us. Thank you for your forgiveness and because of your forgiveness and because of who I am in Christ, then I will continue to give forgiveness as well. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, when temptation comes, keep me out of trouble. Keep me out of trouble. Deliver me from the evil one. I can't do this without you and I need you to live in me and through me. And if you want to tack on the last part, you can. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. But what Jesus is bringing into this is he is close, he is good, he is great, he's magnificent, he transforms, he changes, he forgives, he forgives through you, he delivers you, he's right there with you. That's a beautiful God, isn't it? And that is what, not, I wouldn't call it the Lord's Prayer. That is what the disciples' prayer is. You want to look at the Lord's Prayer, go to John 17. The disciples' prayer. This is us right here trusting in Him every step of the way. Father in heaven, thank you that we can say, Our Father. Holy is your name. May you live in us and through us. And may people know that you are holy because you have transformed our lives and that we would live a holy life. Lord, we look forward to being in your kingdom forever. But as Jesus ushered in your kingdom here on this earth, we pray that your righteousness would fill us and transform us. That that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will would be done in my life and in the lives of my friends here today. That you would give us our daily bread. That you would give us what we need. You would forgive us of our sins. And that we would forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, that you would keep us out of trouble when temptation comes and that you would deliver us from evil. Thank you for being an all-powerful, a God who is full of glory, and a God who brings his kingdom right here in us forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.